guide us and you put us into places, Lord God, that we would not ordinarily be to hear your word. So, Father, we are so gracious to you today. We're gracious. We just want to thank you that even in the hard things that you want to speak to us, even in the surprising issues, you want to talk to us. So, Father, may your spirit do this work in our hearts today. We avail ourselves to you to bless you by becoming all that you've called us to become. So mold us and use us, spirit of the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you've heard a lot of messages from this pulpit over the years. A wide range of topics. And you know uh, for me that I don't shy back. When God calls me to speak on something, that's what I do. And I say it and move on. Today's topic is no different. Because today you can, after you've heard this message, you can tell your friends and your family tomorrow that we talked about sex in church. Amen? The preacher actually talked about sex in church. Can you believe that? Listen to this, and I quote. She felt robbed. She was 30, single, and in most ways very content except one core area of her life. She just couldn't understand why God would design her to be a sexual being with strong sexual desires and then forbid her to participate in and enjoy sex. She would see couples at the local bars snuggling in the corner and the sight would fill her with an explosive combination of both envy and anger. She had always been serious about her faith and tried to live with it practically. But this one sex issue was about to push her over the edge. More and more, as you can imagine time going on, God seemed more of a harsh judge than someone who loved her. She thought to herself, how can I serve a God who hardwires me with desires and then tells me that if I fulfill them, he's going to discipline me? It left her depressed and confused. Well, what do you think she should do? If it was a guy, what would you do? 
It is at this very point of decision that we struggle in deciding whether to do what is right or cast off all divine instructions to do our own thing. <laughs> in fact, this is also that place where people begin to justify their actions to do what they really want to do in the first place. Cults, relationships, and folks with other ideas have been created to allow people to do what had been simmering in their minds. Actually, you might be one of those people right now. You might be one of those people who have justified uh, this whole sex issue outside of God-ordained marriage so you can finally, once and for all, be who you want to be. It is true that sex, that it is to be celebrated according to God's kingdom plan, and under the right circumstances, sex is good. Can you say amen? Sex is good if you're under the right circumstances, whether you are young or old, if you are married. You see, I had to add that in there at the very end, right? You notice that? So we know, though, that from reading 1 Corinthians that the church in 1 Corinthians, that they had several problems. Uh, one of the problems that they had uh, was uh, they were very divisive, right? Uh, the Corinthian church, as well as our church, as well as any other church, that they're all imperfect church because the churches are full of imperfect people. Yes, many people who are saved by the grace of God, but yet we are still imperfect. So one of the issues they dealt with, it was division in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 10. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So division can strike at the heart of any church, so we must be diligent in prayer to counteract the ravages of Satan's tactics with the power of God and the blood of Jesus. But we are going to enter down a path which we don't often have an opportunity to hear about, especially within the church, for various reasons, specifically talking about our bodies, Talking about sex. Today's message now, I want you to know, here it is, that it is not scintillating, right? Or some passion-filled word about the how-tos or the winds of sex. So if you're looking for that, you're not going to get that from me today. Today's message is about our bodies and whether or not we use our bodies to glorify God. Or if we use our bodies to glorify ourselves. This topic uh, does not make the word of God any less spiritual. 
or any less dignified in any way. Why? Because who created sex to begin with? It is God. He is the one who created sex. Well, how do you know this? Because in the very beginning, God told Adam and Eve to what? To be fruitful and to... Well, how can you multiply if you don't have sex? In fact, have you ever read the Song of Solomon's? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you're talking about a romantic, uh, right? In, in air quotes, right? A romantic novel. Uh, the Song of Solomon, you know, it can get uh, pretty hot and heavy. But don't read it for its hot and heavy aspects, but read it for how you can glorify God with your body. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And to our visitors today, I bet you didn't expect this, did you? You've heard it. I've heard it from some people. And what have we heard? We've heard this. It's my body, and I can do with it whatever I want to do. Did y'all hear what I said? You heard it, right? You heard it before. It's my body, and I can do with it whatever I want to do. 1 Corinthians 6.12. Paul says here, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything, Paul says. So some truly believe that they can do whatever they want to do with their bodies. The interesting thing about people, uh, when there are things that and I say all of us, right? We really want to do, we find a way to do them and then we make the excuses to justify our actions regardless of how ludicrous our excuses may seem. <laughs> so in order to fast track this message, let's quickly look down to verse 13 where Paul writes this. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. So after reading uh, this verse, we now realize that what Paul was getting at uh, was, was people's mindset about their sexuality. This is what he's talking about, verses 12, verses 13. They were Christians, yet they felt as if their sexuality, what and how they decided to have sex, was a matter totally up to them. You know, I, I, I'm single, right? I look good, right? Everybody wants me, so let me give myself to everybody and anybody. Now, one thing is extremely important to note, and that is how do we read those two verses? Because I know you're probably wondering yourself, what in the world are you talking about? Look at those two verses again, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, 
But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. So you're asking yourself, so why did you go back and read that again? Because you need to see something very important. Look at the verses again, verses 12 and 13. Look at them again. Look at them. Look at the verses again. And hopefully you have your Bible in front of you. Look at them again. He says, all things are lawful for me. You, do you notice here that uh, what is being said here, that it's actually in quotes? Do you see that? But then the next part is not. Then he says, but not all things are helpful. And then we have the quote again, right? He says, what? All things are lawful for me. Quotes again. But I will not be dominated by anything. Verse 13. Uh, you have the what again? You have the quotes. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. End quotes. Then, and God will destroy both one and the other. These quotes are not... Paul speaking, these are not coming from uh, the original pen of Paul, but these are sayings that Christians have made up. You see, uh, they were living a life as followers of Christ, and then uh, there was something or someone that they really, really wanted. Uh, so they're trying to figure out a way. How can I get around this and still remain faithful to, to Jesus Christ? So they come up with these sayings, all things are lawful for me. In other words, I can do whatever I want to do. <laughs> I can do whatever I want to do with my body and I'm still a faithful follower of Christ. I'm still saved. Who's to say one thing or another? So you see, we as followers of Christ, uh, when there's something that we want to do, we develop our own personal theology. Our own personal theology that purportedly excuses uh, the attitudes and the behavior uh, that we really want to leave, uh, th that we really want to put forth. Sex is such a driving force in our lives, and it causes us to do things that are unflattering and dishonor the Lord. But on the other hand, as we've heard, uh, that it also is something created by the Lord in order for people to fulfill his mandate about fulfillment. Fulfilling the earth. Without question, however, it is intended, sex, for the bond of marriage. Yes, to fulfill, to create God worshipers on the earth. Uh, remember I've said a long time ago that what has happened because of the sinfulness of Adam and Eve, because of their disobedience, instead of creating worshipers, they created vandals on the earth. Vandals. But God wanted to have worshipers to be multiplied over and over again on his earth, not our earth. This earth is not ours. This earth belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So now back to the Corinthians. 
So, and, and by the way, so uh, sex is created not only just to procreate, right, to create kids, but also for the husband and wife to enjoy each other. Amen? It's not just, you know, we're going to have another, because if you keep having babies, ain't that right, brother? Keep on having a bunch of babies, eventually you're going to say, where is this going to end? All right? And you know, some of you uh, younger generations say, you know, all I want is one kid. All I want is two. I, I, I don't want 10 or 15 or, or something like that. I said, wait, that's way too many, right? Uh, but, but God has created that in order to create worshipers on this earth that will ultimately worship him. But simply put, these Corinthians, their beliefs were, I can do it in my body, whatever I want. Now, I know that, you know, we have people, they have tattoos, piercings, all up the kazoo, as my mother would probably say, all up the kazoo, all over the place, because people have figured out, I can do with my body, whatever I want to do, who's to say, what is my intent, right? And I am not here judging that. I'm just saying, this is what the Corinthians were saying. I can do with my body, whatever the heck that I want to do. These Corinthians, they were self-lovers. They were the masters of their bodies. You see, uh, one thing that you may not be aware of, is saying here in verse 12, all things are lawful for me. Uh, there's a word there in Greek, right? Uh, which basically says that I, I have the authority of my, over my body. I am the authority over my body. But see, one thing that you may not understand is that all along throughout 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians have been accusing Paul of being too authoritative. You see, the theology, it goes a lot deeper than that. See, they want to do something. They want to have authority, and they want to strip you of your authority according to God, right? And both of those things contradict all that God wants. So in other words... They wanted no limits unless they placed it on themselves concerning their bodies. Here, in this case, they believed that even having sex with a prostitute was all right. So if you wanted to have sex with a prostitute, that's okay. It's not just about, you know, fornication, having sex outside of marriage per se, but even stooping to the level of having sex with a prostitute. 1 Corinthians 6. Verses 15 and 16. Paul says this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or make an auto, right? Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. What does that mean? You know what it means. That anytime you join yourself with someone else, else the two become one flesh. Yep. 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 So, you now may be saying to yourself, okay, well, that was close because, you know, 
I've never engaged in sexual relationship with a prostitute, male or female. And I never will. Therefore, I'm off the hook with this message. So praise the Lord. Preach on, preacher. Haven't gotten to you yet. The issue at hand is not necessarily whether or not a person has had sex with a prostitute, but whether you have had sex within or outside the covenant bounds of marriage. But still, it goes deeper than that. Again, they were justifying their actions through some self-created theology not even founded in God's word. And sometimes, you know how people do, they take uh, bits and pieces of God's word and they twist it and they turn it to suit their own fancy. But in this theology of self, according to the Corinthians, they believe that the body was one that was totally separated from the spirit. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, yes, they, they are one individual, but they thought that the body was here. The body is here. And then they thought that the spirit was here. So if my spirit has been saved, right, if Jesus Christ has saved me, then I'm on my way to glory. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But my body, I can trash it. I can have sex with whoever and however many times that I want. That's okay because my body is a different thing. But my spirit, thank you, Jesus. And then have uh, sex and then have no guilt about it either. Not even be guilty. Not even a little bit. Justify yourself. And what Paul was getting at is that this theology is faulty. If you think that you can separate the two, this theology is not biblical. This theology does not come from God. So if you have been justifying your actions, no, repent today. Repent today. So you could abuse your body and think that Jesus doesn't even care. Because your body is nothing but a disposable shell. Well, okay, I kind of get you. We'll get to that in a second, though. But remember what their mantra was, right? This is not Paul, right? This is a quote from others. They said, all things are lawful for me. I have the authority over all the things I want to do with my body. And the story about the young lady that you heard earlier at the beginning of this message, you could hear her right at that tipping point. She had desires which God placed in her and felt as if God had set her up for failure. Why? By already condemning what she wants to do. Hmm. In a way, we can see it coming. The reason why I did it is God's fault. I would have never done it if God would not have given me that passion within me. I never would have crossed that line if God would not have uh, made me in such a way that caused me uh, to lust for that woman or for that man. It's God's fault. It's, it's not my fault. Sometimes people blame others and say it's the wife's fault. It's your fault that I did this. Vice versa, it's your fault because I did this. 
When the reality is there's something that is broken on the inside. So when we think that we can do whatever we want, then we make excuses for not doing what we should do. This is where the Corinthians were, doing what they wanted to do and then introducing their own theology to back it up. Y'all kind of quiet in here. Verse 13 helps us understand this line of thinking. Some think that it doesn't matter because it all comes to nothing anyway. Don't matter. You can do whatever you want. Your body, you know, you'll turn it to dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Your body's going to be nothing. 1 Corinthians 6.13. They say, listen to this, right? They say, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both the one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord, uh, and the Lord for the body. Hear that. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Did you all see that? Okay, if you did, let's read it together, please. End of verse 13. I'm going to read it together and out loud. Let's read, please. The body is not meant for sexual... Wait a minute, let's start it again. I can't hear you. All right, come on. Try it again. Nice and loud. Let's say it loud, like, like you mean it. And you nice and proud. Here we go. The body... Okay. So that means your body... It's not meant for sinfulness, but really your body is meant for the Lord. So God rebukes self-interest. Here we have their self-interest rationale followed by a corrective rebuke which sheds the truth of God's word on the matter. Here the excuse makers say that food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is meant for food, so it really doesn't matter uh, what I do with my body. Uh, they were saying food was meant for the body, right? Uh, they were saying food is meant for the stomach, but what they meant to say was food was meant for the body. A stomach is another way of phrasing body. In other words, what you do with your body doesn't really make a difference because the body is immaterial. Therefore, uh, there's no need to fret about it, what you do with it and how you use it. So think about the consequences of this faulty theology. The journey of this thinking opens the door to any and everything that doesn't appear to have spiritual consequences. Remember for them that the spirit and the body were two separate things and never did the two intersect. Therefore, you could dishonor or maybe even abuse your body without any realization that it impacts your spiritual life. You've heard that already. So it's not just sex with whoever you want and whatever you want. It's, you, know, you do more with your body. It's also the use of drugs or maybe the use of violence to your own body. Maybe you will open the door to the mutilation of your own flesh. In other words, again, if the body is nothing but a tool to contain your spirit and that tool is nothing more than a paper cup, then why worry about it? You see, remember what scripture says in 1 Corinthians, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
we shall all be what? We're going to be changed. Yeah, we're going to be changed. But God is going to raise us from the dead. Yes, he's going to glorify our bodies. Yes, if you, whether you are cremated or whether you are buried whole, if God can create Adam and Eve out of the dirt of the ground, surely he can recreate you from your old bones and flesh. That's why some are not concerned about trash in their bodies. So does God care about what you do with your body? Corinthians would say no, but we say what? We say, yes, God cares about what you do with your body. You know, you could even take that a step further, okay? What do you put in your body? You know, I got to admit, I, lo I love bacon. You know, and it's just sad news. Every time I hear it on the news, they say, you know, even one strip of bacon a day is not good for you. That's just, that is devast that's devastating news to me. I love bacon. But, what, you know, what you do to your bodies, you know, does it glorify God? What does God want to do with you? So, again, these Corinthians, they found a way through their words and some what they thought smart thinking that God will excuse them for their illicit activities. They wanted to be Christian, but a Christian only according to their own terms. Do you know anybody like that? I'll follow Christ, but, you know, I'm going to have to do it this way. Yeah, I know what the word says, but let me see if I can, if I can change a couple of words and put them in a couple of order, a different order, then maybe I can eventually justify what I'm trying to do. We are spiritually impacted by what we do with our bodies today. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh, verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. There is no such thing as a sexual relationship not impacting your spiritual life. So if you're married, your sexual relationship, it impacts your spiritual life. Amen? If you are not married, your sexual relationships impact your relationship with Christ. Some of you can even think of times today that still influence you to a degree, especially if you have not covered that sin with the blood of Jesus. So verse 16 clearly tells us if you are joined with a prostitute, you become one with that prostitute. If you are joined with that man or woman, you become one with that man or woman. Now, uh, this doesn't mean that you are married because you have not made a commitment before the Lord, which brings up a very important subject. Why marry in the first place? If the two become one flesh during sex, why get married? Why have a wedding day? So I want to ask you this question. Why get baptized if you're already saved? 
Oh, you say, well, because Jesus says you got to be baptized. Okay, but why? Why? Why does Jesus want you to be baptized if you already have accepted him as Lord and Savior? Because baptism is a public expression of an inner decision that you have made about Christ. Is that not true? In other words, no one takes your Christianity serious unless you have made a public declaration, especially during this time. You see, it was okay to say, yeah, I follow Christ, I follow Christ, but they didn't put much credence into your decision until you were publicly baptized. Huh? So what is a wedding? A wedding is a public declaration of a decision that two people have decided to make and commit their lives to one another. Remember that the two people not only became one flesh, but everybody knew about it. Their parents knew about it because they, as scripture says, that uh, Adam and Eve, right, uh, man and woman, that they had to leave their parents. So if they had to leave their parents, that means that mom and dad would know about it. And if mom and dad know about it, you better believe all the uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters and anybody else involved that they also knew about it as well. So then, did they follow their religious traditions in order to get married? Well, yeah, yeah they did. They follow traditions. People have ceremonies. This is how we're going to be married, but it's going to be publicly, right? Look at Mary and Joseph who were engaged, right? Everybody knew about that. So just because you are having sex, that does not mean you are married because you are not. And as a matter of fact, if that did mean some of you would have many, many wives or many, many husbands. So what do we do? Run, Forrest, run. Run, Forrest, run. Run away from sex not ordained by God. Amen? Easy to say, hard to do. But run, run, run. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Paul says here, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. When we are sexually active outside of God's ordained institution of marriage between a man and a woman, we are only hurting ourselves. Regardless of how many times you say to yourself, it's acceptable, it's okay, that God does not accept it. You can create your own theology and spread it far and wide, and that still will not make it true. It never will. You may be able to get many people to take your side, but still at the end of the day, God calls it an illegal relationship. You remember Joseph from the Old Testament? You may have heard of Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? One of the, seven, one of the 12 sons of, of, of Jacob, of, of, of Israel. Remember that one day he was, uh, had been caught up. I think it was Potiphar's wife. And uh, uh, Pharaoh had really trusted Joseph. He was caught up in a room with his wife. And his wife said, come on, come on, have me, young boy. Right? Come on, have me, young boy. What is there to stop you? Joseph said, I can't, I can't do this to Pharaoh. I can't do this to Pharaoh. 
I can't, you know, I, you, he really trusts me. And she said, no, it's going to be okay. Ain't nobody going to know about it. Joseph said, no. And Joseph, he ran and his clothes fell off of him when he was running. Right? Hmm. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Verse 18 again. While not in quotes, there's another phrase here that the translators of the ESV did not include, but it should be here. Uh, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. It is also considered some to be another quote by the Corinthians. In fact, some translations, they purposely put a quote there. And one that we can really find it, one that we... Uh, have never used at this church, but one in which they actually you know, saw that, and that is uh, a King James Version. If you have a King James Version, it's a perfect time for you to you know, take it out. And here uh, there is a quote, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. This means, in essence, they were thinking that other sins are, in essence, a sin of the heart and done with a person's spirit like lying, false worship, so on and so forth. But sexual immorality involves the body. Therefore, when we're faced with this choice, we can run away. But we are not our own because we have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read two passages really quickly. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 and 14 Starting the second part of verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. This means that each of us carry a place where the Holy Spirit lives. If the Holy Spirit lives in us, that means that God is the center of who we are. We are an expression of who God is to a degree. With this being true, we must make sure that what we do with our bodies on the outside reflect who we are on the inside. Therefore, if Jesus Christ has saved us and lives in us, we should therefore live for him outwardly. What is God saying? That we need to reflect his values even with our bodies. You know, sex is good when you're married. Sex is right. Sex glorifies God when it's God ordained. So young folks, hold on. Young folks, hold on. Keep on praying. We need to take 50 cold showers a day. Do it to the glory of God. That's all right. But God is going to bless you so much. I know that I shouldn't just say young folks, right? Come on. 
So let me just back up. Now some of y'all, so much so, some, not all, you start looking at images just like we heard on your phone, on your computers, because that's where you get your jollies. God is not dumb, but I want you to glorify God. It's hard sometimes, right? Sometimes for some, for some of you, it's hard not lying. For some of you, it's hard not cheating or not stealing, right? It's difficult, but this is part of the Christian walk. God, he, he saves us, and then he says, now we need to get this together. Sometimes we fall back, but when we do, what do we do? We repent because God is full of grace, and he will forgive you. Trust me. He will. He'll forgive you. God will forgive you. But it starts by repenting first. Let's pray.